We started a new series, and um, typically, I like to go through books and go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and the whole deal. Uh, but we are doing a series leading up to Christmas, and it's entitled Encounter the Shepherd. And it serves two purposes. One is to get our hearts ready. I mean, Advent is just that, the waiting. It's the anticipation. Israel was looking for its redemption and waiting and waiting. And, and for many, they missed it. It was the coming of Christ, the Messiah. And so there are some still today who are looking for the consolation of Israel to come. They're still in Advent mode, so to speak. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was good. For those of us who know Christ, we are looking back and we are with thanksgiving in our heart and with our soul full of joy, thinking of the new life that Christ has brought us and, and the great good shepherd that he is. And so we'll be moving towards uh, our Christmas service when we're going to see in, in the passage of this Christmas story of, of the shepherds going to find the good shepherd. But the other reason we're doing this is as we have come through this year, the bridge is reconstituting its elders. And in January, we'll be praying over and, and praying about as we're leading into January what men God will fill those roles here at the church as elders or shepherds. And so as we go through this series, what I really want to highlight in, in one regard is the quality and character of our good shepherd, who he is, how he loves his sheep, how he tends to us, how, how Christ is who we as elders are to emulate. And model. And so as we move through it, it is just to put it back into the forefront of our minds. Like when we gather in an assembly, when we gather, whether you're part of the bridge or you're part of another fellowship, when you gather in the body of Christ and it has that leadership, that leadership is to model Christ. And so we are always looking towards him as elders. And we want our future elders to have this in their mind because this is a big role. This has weight. So we want to look at the series, Encounter the Shepherd, as we move forward to get our hearts ready for our celebration of Jesus who has come and will come again, and to get our hearts ready to go forward in this next year as we pray over those who will be leading as shepherds here at the bridge. So that's where we're heading. It's going to be a bunch of different passages, not just one chapter and verse going through a book. Our passage today is going to start in Genesis chapter 26. Now this is Isaac and Abimelech. And as we go through it, it's not going to look like it has anything to do with shepherding. But I will tie it together and you'll see just how involved the good shepherd is in this passage as we get there. So Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 5, uh, if you will just follow along with me, and then we'll, we'll bring out some of these truths that are found here. It says this in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. 
And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For you and your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Pray with me. Father, as we start this passage, we see this good promise, this beautiful promise promise, this promise that has been fulfilled through Christ, and you are continuing to add to the number of Abraham's descendants because of the Son, Christ Jesus. So Father, as we come through this, we ask Holy Spirit that you would just teach us, show us what you are doing. Be exalted in the text, and may we have our souls encouraged and stirred as we see and as we encounter you here today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So verses one through five, there's a famine and and the text tells us it's not just a famine, it's it's much like in the days of Abraham, but it's a different famine. So in this region, it's prone to times of famine. And and so Isaac is is wanting to go. He's, He's gonna take the path down from from the promised land of Israel. He's, he's on the shore of the coast. It's in the news today. I'm sure you've seen the map several times of Israel and all that's going on there. And there is a road that the Philistines had on the shore that went from there to the peninsula over to Egypt. And so Isaac is going to take this route. He's thinking, I got to go to take care of my family, to take care of my flocks. This land is in famine. Where shall I go? I'll go down to Egypt. You know, the, the Nile down there and, the, and all that, they're going to have provision. So that's what he's going to do. But God says, don't go there. He says, dwell here, stay here. Man, that's hard. God doesn't always promise us an easy road or an easy path. He promises to be with us. He promises to guide us and shepherd us. He gives this promise to Isaac. He says, stay here and obey my voice. We go through spiritual famines and we go through physical famines. This is a physical one that we see, but we understand as well spiritual famines. And God has Isaac in the land, but the promise is not one of comfort and ease. I mean, can you imagine? God says, hey, I know you can probably find what you're looking for over there in Egypt, but I don't want you to go there. I want you to stay right here. Your water is scarce. The plants aren't really growing well. Your flocks won't have a lot to eat unless they like dirt and rocks. I want you to stay in this area where the Philistines are, and they're kind of antagonistic to you because you know how they were with your father. Stay here. This is your land, and I'm going to bless you. Man, that takes trust. That takes trust. I mean, when God says, 
this is what I'm doing in your circumstance. I don't want you to leave from this spot. I want you to stay right here where it's difficult and hard. How do we respond? See, it's these hard moments that create trust in God. This is where you know whether or not you really trust him. When God asks you to do something in a hard circumstance to stay put or to act contrary to your natural inclination is like, you know, that knee-jerk reaction. We say it all the time when we're teaching wrestlers. We're like, okay, this guy's going to do this move and your natural reaction is going to be to either like pop up or pull back, whatever. You don't want to do that. Like you want to engage. Same thing here. Your natural inclination is going to be self-preservation for me. I got to do, I'm going to, no, you need to engage. You need to step into the Lord. You need to step into that moment that he's calling you into. And it's not easy. The circumstance is very difficult. But what's God doing in that circumstance? He's creating trust. I mean, it would have been different if, if it was said like this, if God says, hey, Isaac, do you trust me? Kind of sounds like Jesus and Peter, doesn't it? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you, I love you. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? When God asks us to do some hard things, he's, he's also asking that underlying question, do you trust me? Do you believe that I am good? Do you believe that I can provide, that I will provide? Do you believe that I am walking you through this and that I am sufficient for what you need right now. What's he doing? Creating trust. He's creating reliance. Man, if we could just go and do it, we don't need God. You ever met that guy? That guy who says, I'm going to go do it, and he does it? That's my brother, by the way. I'm going to do this. Okay, yeah, good luck with that. And he's like, oh my gosh, he did it. I'm going to do this now. Okay, good, good luck with that. Oh my gosh, he did it. He's like, he's just one of those people that's self-sufficient, can do all these things that are, doesn't rely on the Lord, doesn't need to. But God says, do you trust me? Can you rely on me? Can you cultivate humility? Humble yourself, be in this moment. He tests our obedience. I asked you to do this. Are you going to do it? It's, it's one thing when it's something we want to do, right? You ever, kids, you ever get asked of your parents like to go do something that you want to do? It, can anybody think of a time mom and dad asked you to do something you wanted to do? Usually we come, we're like, clean your room. I don't want to do that. Go to the yard work. I don't want to do that. Anybody's like, go get your backpack so we can go to Disney or go to the amusement park. It's like, I want to do that. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden it's like, there's something I want to do. And obedience becomes really easy. But when God comes and he says, hey, I want you to stay in this circumstance. I don't want to do that. But are you going to? He says, will you do it? He, he tests our obedience. He cultivates peace through hardship. Ever been in a hard circumstance? Grown through it? And then the next hard circumstance comes along? And someone else, this is their first hard circumstance? And they're just like, how are you like, so chill right now. You're like, well, I've been through some hard things and this will be okay. Like 
he cultivates peace. You know, I, I love um, a quote from from author, and his name just flew out of my head, Bethany. Grave, young, and handsome, Leif Anger. And he says, you know, the guy's in the middle of this storm, and they're in this boat, and a hurricane-type storm feels like it's coming, and the young guy's freaking out, and the old guy's just calm. He's like, it's good to have an old man with you when life is turbulent because an old man's seen worse. God cultivates peace in us. You'll be that man or woman who has come through and he's cultivated the peace of Christ in you through hardship. And there's so many other spiritual qualities that he's refining and cultivating. There's a famine in the land. He says, stay put, don't leave, stay here. I'm going to give you this promise. That's what he says to Isaac. Reminds me of Malachi chapter three, verses two and three. It says, but who can endure the day of his coming? That's the day of the Lord coming. And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. This passage, God like a refining, uh, a refiner sitting over the, the, the metal that is being purified like silver and gold, and, and the, the heat just gets hotter and hotter and hotter, and all the impurities start to come up. And he starts skimming all of that off. That's you. You are in that pot. And he puts heat to it at times. He says, stay right here. I want you in the heat. Why? Because I'm going to pull all the nasty out. I'm going to refine you. And in the end, when it's silver, when the silversmith would refine and he gets all the dross out of there, he sees his own reflection. How beautiful. You reflect the Savior. You look like him. That's what he's doing in Isaac's life. That's what he does in your life, in my life. He says, at times, stay in this hard thing because I'm going to refine you. Look at Mark chapter nine, verses two and three. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. Now that's like the fuller soap. It's so acidic. It, it burns, it just, everything comes off. It is not kind to the material. It bleaches it. it, it refines it, it makes it pure. And here we have this idea of like Malachi talking about the refiner and the soap that, that purifies. And we see Jesus who is radiant looking like nothing on earth, bright, beautiful, holy. That's what he's doing to you. He's putting you through a refiner's fire, using fuller soap, heavenly, divine fuller soap, and purifying you, that you will reflect Christ, that you'll be like him. Psalm 51, verse 7, David says it like this, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What is he saying? He's saying, take that fuller soap, 
that burns off everything that's very acidic. He says, just wash me with it and burn everything off of me that doesn't belong there. Make me pure. Make me holy. Make me reflect you, God. So what do we see in verses one through five? A famine, and God says, stay in the land, and I have good promises for you. Verses six through 11, we see this. So Isaac settled in Gerar. And when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. And when he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How could you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. <laughs> so Isaac travels back into the land, the same land where his father Abraham had traveled. And what did Abraham do? The exact same thing got there and he's like, my wife is beautiful. One of the leaders of this or the king of this land is going to take them and they're going to kill me. And so Isaac gets there and says, Rebecca is beautiful. And if I say that's my wife, they're going to kill me and then take her. So I'm just going to say that's my sister and we'll try to dwell in peace here and move through the land. Is this righteous? No, this is sinful. He's doing the wrong thing. He's being obedient and staying in the land, but he's not walking in uprightness. The sin of Abraham is passed over to Isaac. Now, I, I want us to think for a minute because some people talk about generational curses in Scripture and, and breaking generational curses, and some people say, well, that's just really not such, and they'll talk about why they think, and there's different opinions on it. Here's what I want to show you, though. Abraham walked in this way before Isaac. Isaac knows the story, I'm sure, you know, and then he has the great idea to do the same thing that dad did. And who's Isaac's son? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's Jacob mean? Deceiver, trickster. He becomes Israel later. So you see father to son to son, a pattern of deception, of behavior that's passed on. Now, whether you want to call that a generational curse or not, the point is this. They, they are passing on what, how they're living, what they're doing, how they're thinking, how they're talking, how they worship. They're passing all of this on. Who are you discipling? And how are you discipling them? Who's watching you? What are they seeing? 
Who hears you talk? What do they hear? Who watches the work of your hands? What's the result that they see? That's discipleship. And so here, Isaac is deceiving Abimelech. And and Abimelech knows of what Abraham did. And he says, how could you do this? You've brought guilt. You would have brought guilt upon us. So he says, everyone stay away from them. Like leave them alone. Point here is what we teach, model, our story even. Our story. We don't always think about that. Just recently, it was brought to my mind, my story, parts of my family history. And it was through the healing weekend and other times of prayer. And and the Holy Spirit was bringing to my mind, hey, Rob, remember this story? And remember this when you were young and you were four and then through seven years old and the behavior that came out of that? And do you remember this story about your grandfather and this story here in your family? Now I'm being vague on purpose, but he brought this to mind. And the point is this, the story doesn't just reside in my head. It actually was residing here. I knew the story and I was living the story. It's kind of like, well, my family's just that way. Have you ever said that? Then you're living the story, right? Like, oh, that's just who we are. We always argue. We always do this. We always do that. What is that? That you're, you're pronouncing a curse, actually. You're saying, I always fill in the blank, and then you've just set your behavior, right? You've got to break that in the name of Jesus, and you can break that. Think about that. Maybe later, as we have time to pray with our, our prayer team, there, maybe God is showing some of you right now that story or that history or those things that you need to be broke and free from. Pray with your brothers and sisters. Be free from those things. But here, Isaac is passing on eventually the story to Jacob, but he has Abraham's story. We're all under a curse, though. We have to remember that. We're all under sin. So it is Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We are all in sin. And we all act sinfully. Did that negate the promise that God gave Isaac? Did it? Yes, no. No. He still gave him this promise. Isaac's in the land, doing the wrong thing, saying, it's my sister. Have you seen psych? (laughs) You know, but he's not walking an upright way. And yet God says, this is still the promise I've given you. I'm not revoking my promise, but he is going to refine Isaac. He will work through him. He will work through you. We see that God tests and moves in our lives. He's giving us life abundant through Christ. Here, he is working through Isaac. Isaac is going to be justified by faith in these promises, not by what he's doing, because we see he's not doing the right things. He's a sinful man, just as I'm a sinful man. It's only by grace through Christ, through the promise of God, through the work of God, that we have justification. And in the Old Testament, saints, they're all justified by faith. It tells us this in Hebrews. It says, these men of old, were justified because they believed the promises of God and they looked forward to the redemption that was to come. 
It wasn't by the works of their hands, yet they were held accountable for the works of their hands as we are. So we see this in verses 6 through 11, but God is still with him. Verses 12 through 16, it moves the story a little further. And Isaac sowed in that land, and he reaped in the same year a hundredfold. We're in famine, and he is being blessed. He's reaping and harvesting a hundredfold. The, the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. And he had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham. His, in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than, than we. Here's the blessing of doing just what you should. Sometimes we make a big deal. What is God's will for my life? His will for your life is that you just live a quiet, peaceful, upright life, right where you've been planted. Just do what you should. Care for others. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Care for your family. Worship the Lord with all of, with all of your life. Just do what you're supposed to be doing. And here, that's all he's doing. He's just living there. He's, he's, he's sowing, he's reaping, and God is blessing. He's caring for the land. He's caring for the, the flocks he has. He's caring for his family. He's growing and growing and growing in his obedience. He's just staying and living a peaceful life. And God blesses him. First Thessalonians 4, 10 through 12 says it this way. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. He's, he's talking about caring for them. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So here we see that he is walking before God as he should now. This deception has been put away. He's doing what he should do. He's living as he should live. God is blessing him. The Philistines see it and they come and they're afraid. They're envious. Sometimes blessing brings strife. Sometimes in the midst of your blessing, strife arises. And that doesn't mean that you're out of God's will. It's just the heart of man isn't it? When we see others doing well, isn't there something in us that says, why not me? Why do they get that? Why are they being blessed? Why is that happening? The Philistines see this and, and they become jealous. They start having judgment in their heart about him. Their thoughts about his motives. And they start to attack him in the midst of his blessing, verbally, basically, they say, go away from us because you're greater than we are. We're afraid of you, basically. There's jealousy and, and thoughts about his motives. What are the Philistines thinking? This guy's gotten so great. 
And he's grown so powerful and so wealthy. You know what? He could turn and take our kingdom if he wants to. I bet that's what he's planning. I bet in his mind, he's just waiting for the right time. And he's got, and they start assigning motives to, to Isaac. So what do they do? We got to stop this. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to him now and tell him to leave. In the midst of blessing, there can be strife. It's not uncommon. And if we're not careful, it can happen in our own heart. Genesis chapter four, verses two through seven. This is Cain and Abel. It says, Cain, a worker of the ground, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the first fruits of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, this is key here. He's talking about his motives and his heart and how he's living. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. What happens here? Cain sees his brother and he sees God's regard and God's blessing and he's angry. Why him and not me? Why this brother or sister in the church and not me? Why were they elevated and I wasn't? Why this and not this? And he becomes angry. He becomes jealous. So we have to be careful that we're not on the other side, seeing someone else being blessed and that we become the one who is jealous or become like the Philistines who start assigning motive and judgment to others. No, we have to put that away. Sin crouches at each of our doors, but we must rule over it. And we can rule over it. We have victory in the blood of Jesus. We can walk victoriously and uprightly. We can put those motives away of the heart. We can put those bad thoughts away. We can walk without assigning things to others and we can live at peace and we can rejoice with those who rejoice and we can weep with those who weep and we do not have to walk as the Philistines or as Cain did. If you do well, God sees and he sees each of us and he rewards each of us correctly and rightly. And so we should be content. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Verse 17 to 22, we move on in our story and we see this. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the Valley of Gerir and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of the water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. When, but when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and they found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen saying, the water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek because they contended with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he 
moved from there and dug another well. And they did not quarrel over it. So he called it Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. So it says here that he moves on. What's he do in the midst of this? He's trying to live at peace with everybody. He could have bowed up and said, I'm not going anywhere. Dug in his heels and said, you go. Or you want to pick a fight? You've said it. I'm greater than you. Let's go. Get in the ring. He doesn't do that. The Philistines come and say, we want you to depart from us. And he says, okay, I'll go. I'll go. And he goes and settles here. And it says in the valley. Now, if you look it up, it says he actually settled in the wadi, dry riverbed. And so whoever's put me onto that guy, I don't even remember his name. I'm listening to all of his stuff coming in right now. So you you know what I'm going to talk about. But he goes into the wadi and this is a dry riverbed. So in times of famine, okay, so Isaac's not too worried about a flood, but he's actually in a floodplain. He goes to where nobody lives, where nobody wants to build their houses or have their tents or their encampments. Why? Because when the rains come, it's going to flood through there. And so he goes to that valley that's called a wadi in in the original language, and he puts his tents and stuff in this riverbed area that nobody builds on. And and so Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7, verses 24, or Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. He says this, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them would be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the wadi. He's saying, This riverbed is full of sand. It's a sandy material. This is, you can build on that. It's not bad. But you don't want to build on that sand and that clay. Because when the rains come and the floods and the wind comes, it's going to destroy your house. Now, if you're on the higher elevation, on the rock beside the river, and and the floods come and the rains come and the winds blow, you've got a sturdy foundation. It's going to stand. So when Jesus tells this story, He's he's talking about this type of situation. And so as a a good Jew, you're hearing the story of Isaac and Isaac goes and puts himself in actually a bad situation on purpose. He goes and dwells somewhere where people don't want to dwell. He's, He's in this area trying to be at peace and trying to do so, he puts himself potentially in a very hazardous situation. He's comforted by God's promise again, but think about it. There's times we put ourselves in bad situations, isn't there? There's times where we think, I'm just going to do this or that to, to find peace or whatever. And Isaac put himself in a bad situation. So is this good or is this bad? It just, is, it just shows some, some characteristics of our heart really. He wants to be at peace. And he looks around. He says, I don't want to leave the land. 
So I'm just going to put myself here in the wadi. Hopefully the famine continues because if it floods, we're all in trouble. But that's where he is. He puts himself in a hazardous situation. Listen, we too do the same thing at times. But God continues to encourage him. Even when we make bad decisions or put ourselves in bad situations or walk in ways that are not what God would have us to do, he is still there, he is still working, and he is still watching. So God encourages him. Verses 23 through 25, we read this. From there, he went up to Beersheba. So he's got water from his well at Rehoboth. He's thankful. So he goes up to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. So his response to God's promise, even unfulfilled promises. Listen, this isn't fulfilled. God just says, I'm doing this. You have a lot of unfulfilled promises. He has promised you that he will complete that good work that he began in you until the day of Christ Jesus. That he's going to transform you and change you and work in your life and bring good things out of your life and give you the fruit of the spirit and reflect Christ more and more. He's promised you this. If you have Christ, he's promised you this. It's not fulfilled. So what is his response to the promises and, and, and even the one that he hasn't received in his hand yet, but he knows it's coming? He worships. He worships. He takes initiative. He, he puts his mind to it. He puts his hands to it. He puts his emotions in it. All of this working together. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5 says this. O hero Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So that's what he does. He worships God with all that he is and he builds an altar and he worships. Worship is not just the singing. Worship is engaging. It is responding. We respond in song. We respond in other ways. When we worship God, it is a response to who he is. All of your life is worship. How you respond to God in all of your ways, in all of your moments, that's true worship. So what does he do here? He engages his hands, his mind, his his heart. He engages all of it. He builds an altar. He's sacrificing to God. He's, He's wanting to give God glory for all that he's doing in the midst of hardship, in the midst of these hard circumstances and having to move again and now live in the wadi. He comes up and he builds an altar and he worships God. And when he sees that, it's remembrance as well. That well, they called it Rehoboth. Every time someone goes by that well, or every time someone says that name to these people, they think God was faithful. God gave us place. God watched over us. And they go up to Beersheba before all the high places got torn down. His altar was there. And so they see the altar. And every time they see that altar, it was God was faithful. God was with us. God did something. 
It's a remembrance. We need remembrance. Talked about that last week about putting down an Ebenezer. And so I'm still praying about that. I want a big rock, maybe a couple of them. I want to put an Ebenezer outside that door that God is for us. God has helped us. God is whom we are coming to meet with. It's not about us. It's not about how we prefer our worship. It's how we worship him, how we respond to him as his people. And when we walk in to have a symbol of remembrance by the door, when you walk by that door, you say, God is my help. He is the one that I'm here for. He is the one I'm going to go lift my praises to in just a moment. He is the one that we worship. This reminds me. And that's what he does. He engages all of his faculties to worship. Verses 26 to 33, when Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Uzzah and his advisor, uh, Pichol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, why have you come to me seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do no harm just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace you are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. And in the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths and Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him the well that they had dug and said to him, we found water. And he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. So he allows reconciliation to happen. I think they have a little skewed view of what they did to our man Isaac. We've done nothing wrong to you. We sent you away in peace. We've, done, we've been good to you the whole time. He's like, really? Because when they showed up, what was his response? Why are you here? Because I know you hate me. They're like, why? We don't hate you, man. Like, we've done nothing but good to you. Let's have an oath together. What's, what's he do? He allows reconciliation. He says, okay. Let's be reconciled one to another. Let's have peace. And look at this. He offers hospitality. He cooks them this feast. He shows hospitality and, and he serves those. He blesses those. Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, about loving your enemies. You have heard it said, hate your enemy. But, but I say to you, love those who persecutes you. And that's exactly what he does here. He, he shows hospitality to them and he is blessing them and God blesses Isaac's actions and he continues to care for him again. He gives this name of the well uh, as an act of remembrance. So this story, I hope you see that it's not so much about Isaac and Abimelech. I mean, it's really easy to get lost in that. Like as you read through Old Testament and you look at these, this history, I hate using the word story because it makes it sound like it's the work of the imagination. But as you read through this 
history of what God has done. It's not so much about Isaac and Abimelech, but it's about God who is the shepherd of Isaac and the keeper of the promises. So I want to put it together with a psalm that David wrote, Psalm 23. He says this in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verses 1 through 5, what's happening in the land? What's happening in the land? Verses 1 through 5. There's a famine. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even in famine, he is good. He'll take care of me. He'll watch over me. The Lord is my shepherd. He will lead me where I must go. He will meet my needs. He will provide. Verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We see this in verse 12 and in verse 22, that he is sowing and reaping and God is blessing him and caring for him. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He cares for me. Here we see that the Lord is doing just that, providing for him. Verse three, David writes, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So verses 17 through 21, he is being blessed. God is watching over him. Verses 26 through 31, we just see this story where, where as Isaac is moving through his life in this moment, we see that God, the good shepherd, is caring for him, spiritually caring for him, physically watching over him and caring for him. Verses four through six, David says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Verses 23 through 25 and 32 through 33, the end of his life, it, it, it highlights this. He, he blesses the good shepherd, blesses his sheep. When the enemy comes, he is there. He sees it. He blesses us. He cares for us. He watches over us. Doesn't guarantee the outcome, but he guarantees his care. He guarantees his presence. He guarantees that he is watching. His promises, sure, his blessings are irrevocable. So David says, I will worship. What do we see out of Isaac? I will worship. God is your good shepherd. Christ is the good shepherd. When was the last time you thought of yourself in that situation of him being your shepherd? What circumstances has he brought you through? What care has he provided? What hardships have you been in, but yet you knew the Lord was there? Maybe you haven't reflected on that. Take some time and reflect because if you're in Christ, the Lord is your shepherd and as he is for Isaac, he is for you. Your God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why can David say the Lord is my shepherd? Because he looks back and sees 
God's shepherding again and again and again. Who is your shepherd? If you do not have a relationship with God, if we walk through this passage and you're thinking, well, you know, he's got this relationship with God that's unique. You know, God's talking to him and all that. Hey, God speaks today. God talks to his sheep today. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. He's shepherding his people. He's calling you to himself. If you do not have a relationship with God, come when we're singing and, and, and pray with someone on the, on the prayer team up here. Receive Christ as your good shepherd. Receive him as your help. Receive him as your friend. Take a moment. Reflect on when he was your shepherd. Just do that for a moment. Take a moment and just reflect. When was he your shepherd? As you reflect and you think of that moment, what I want you to do is to take that into our closing time of worship, of singing. That from your heart, as Caleb prayed earlier, that the things we say and sing with our mouth may it be a reflection of our heart attitude. So as we come and worship, worship from the heart, from a place of, you are my good shepherd. I do not want you lead me beside still waters. You give me king pastures. You give me a table. You anoint my head. I've seen it in this moment and this moment and this moment. So I worship. Now, if you need help or direction, you're just like, I don't know what the shepherd's saying. I don't know what to do next. As we worship, respond. Because that's what worship is. It's responding. I'm really pushing prayer today. Have you noticed? I'm really pushing you to go pray with somebody. Why? Because I want you to respond. We need to get used to responding. I want us as a people in this moment, as the congregation of God, together, when the Spirit says to you, hey, I want you to respond. I want your response to God to be, yes, Lord, and do that. So if you don't know the direction that the good shepherd has for you, you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know about my circumstance. I feel confused. I feel lost. I, I, I know he's speaking, but I'm not hearing him. Respond by coming to a brother or sister and pray with them. Seek the Lord today, together. Ask, seek, and knock. Come and respond because he is a good shepherd. And so may you experience the shepherd as we see him in this passage this morning with Isaac. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. You're so good. You are a good shepherd, Lord Jesus, and you've given us new life and you say that you've come to give us life and life abundant, but it's not just, it's not just so that you're glorified. You, you, you want us in your presence. 
You want that relationship with us. You care for us. You want our joy to be made full. So as we worship, may it come from a place of gratitude, reflecting on you as our good shepherd. May we respond in prayer if that is the appropriate thing to do. And spirit, if you've directed us to do something else, an action we need to take, a person we need to talk to, something we need to do, uh, may we be obedient to do that today, to just say yes and do that. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Before the worship team sings, <laughs> call an audible on you. Um, the, if our prayer team will kind of come up and we can have two over here and some, I guess, right over here, over here, wherever is easiest. Um, if you feel like you need to respond, I want you to come and, and come and get prayer and respond to them. But I want you to just listen and I'm going to sing acapella, so forgive me, but yeah. But uh, I want you to listen to the words of this because it's ministered to my soul. And I know it'll minister to you. I'm coming to your rest, God, the place where I belong. Hide me in your shadow. There's nothing more I want. Your grace is all around me, falling like the rain. Lead me to the quiet. Be my hiding place. And I leave the world behind to follow you. I'm drawing close, you're drawing closer. And time fades, but your love is forever. Jesus, all of my heart, you have all of my heart. Take my life, it is yours, all I have for your cause. And though I stumble and fall, you will carry me home. I'm always in your sight, Jesus, shepherd of mine. When the enemy surrounds me, you speak into the storm. You seat me at the table in the middle of a war. And I will fear no evil when I can't see the way. Your goodness and your mercy overwhelm my pain. And I leave the world behind to follow you. I'm drawing close, you're drawing closer, and time fades, but your love is forever. Jesus, Jesus. Nothing comes between us, and I will be at peace. Because I know the shepherd, and he is good to me. Thank you for listening. 
The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.